0: Du lyssnar på den podcast inspelad live från Kulturhållset Stadsteater i Stockholm.
1: All right. Hello. Welcome everyone. Great to see such a big crowd here. So, my name is Natalie Rothschild. I'm a journalist based here in Stockholm and I'm going to moderate this discussion on Me Too. What we do is I'm going to briefly uh, introduce the topic, and our speakers, they're going to get between five and six minutes each to give uh, presentations with their sort of thoughts and their takes on the subject, and then uh, as quickly as possible, I want to get you in the audience in on the discussion. This, uh, the idea is very much to have a, a public debate and a public discussion. I'm sure lots of you have opinions and questions as well about this issue. The title of the debate is In the Wake of Weinstein, Me Too, Calling Out and Sexual Harassment. Uh, and of course, uh, the subject doesn't really require much introduction. I think we're sort of living, we're in the midst of it still. And we're all familiar with how it started and how it sort of spread, the hashtag then spread around the world, uh, from the US uh, to Europe and elsewhere. And I think it's great that we have uh, speakers here today who are familiar both with the Swedish and Norwegian and American and British uh, context, and um, perhaps can give insights on how it's played out in in, uh, different parts of the world. But I think the whole phenomenon uh, really raises uh, some very thorny issues that go beyond, uh, you know, just the hashtag. And uh, I think the way in which we end up kind of treating these issues or resolving them will have a bearing on, uh, and are already having a bearing on interpersonal relationships, on workplace relations, uh, on media ethics, and much more. So just to start with raising a bunch of questions that perhaps we can... Uh, get somewhere towards answering today. Among them uh, are, um, you know, what counts as sexual assault? Uh, how do we decide where we draw our own lines? How can we second guess where another person that we encounter draws their line? Uh, is the MeToo hashtag empowering? Or are women who use it embracing victimhood? Should men be called out online in the media uh, or at workplaces? Or does that lead to mob justice? Should we, as a matter of principle, always give the accuser, uh, the supposed uh, self-defined victim of sexual assault, uh, the benefit of the doubt? Or does that mean that we're reversing the presumption of innocence, which after all is the foundation of the criminal justice system, as well as the sort of bedrock of a civilized society? Where might Me Too and everything it's stirred up lead us? And what, if any, is the end goal of this campaign? Those are some of the questions that I think have emerged, uh, or issues that have emerged over the past few weeks, some of the questions that I've been asking myself as well. So, we have a great panel to address those questions and probably a lot more. Our first speaker will be Sissi Valin, who I'm sure most of you are familiar with. She's a blogger, she's a broadcaster, often heard on TV and radio. She was previously a presenter on Radio One.
2: I, w- I was, yeah.
1: yeah. And Previously, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and she runs her own uh, media production company. Uh, and of course, CC uh, has been very outspoken in the debate uh, here in Sweden around Me Too after calling out a former colleague under the hashtag. So. You know, She's very much been the talk of the town, and it's a great uh, that you've agreed to come here. I'm very, looking, very much looking forward to hearing your views and your story. Our second speaker would be Martha Michelet who is a journalist originally from Norway and an author who previously worked at the Norwegian daily Dagbladet. She was also chairman of the Red Youth Party in the late 90s and has written widely about feminism, immigration, integration and asylum policy. She also wrote a very thoughtful piece uh, yesterday in Aftonbladet, um, which I hope you've read, which was... um, about me too but also raised the, the problematics of you know the issue of calling out and how the attitudes to this have differed between Sweden and Norway so great to have you here uh, to expand on some of those thoughts thanks for coming our third speaker will be Jonathan Rowlands who is an American stand-up comedian living here in Sweden he runs the blog Expat John takes on the world and is also part of the power meeting podcast um, he I read a blog post of yours from last year, so long before me too was a thing uh, where Jonathan declared himself to be a proud feminist who, and who realized that he had sort of subconsciously contributed to what he uh, called and, and others also called the rape culture, so maybe uh, you'll be talking about some of those issues today as well. Last but not least, Jan McVerish, who has flown over from England. She's a sociologist at the University of Kent, and her work focuses on the study of interpersonal relationships, parenting, family life, health, sex, and intimacy, so very relevant, of course, for this debate. Uh, Jan is interested in her writing about the questions of um, morality and moralization in risk culture, and she's published research on contemporary singleness, teenage pregnancy and parenthood, the regulation of fertility treatment and abortion and the use and abuse of neuroscience. Uh, And of course interpersonal relationships, how we manage them uh, and so on uh, and who should or should not advise us on how to manage them, those issues are also very central to this debate. So it's great to have Jan here. Could we welcome our speakers with a warm round of applause? Okay, that's it for me for a while. Um, Sissi. Your introduction, please.
2: Thank you. Four weeks ago, around four or five weeks ago, I was in New York. Um, I was watching the news on my TV there. I'm still watching TV sometimes. Uh, And it was just running and I heard something. I was in the bathroom taking care of my son and I heard something about Weinstein. And uh, we were in New York for two weeks and this was everything, just that thing that people talked about. And it made me think, uh, it made me rethink what I've been through uh, and what I've done with what I've been through. And I'm a victim. I'm not ashamed. Sometimes we talk about being a victim is like you, something, something bad with being a victim. You know, it's like it's your own fault and you're weak. And if you call yourself a victim, there's a problem. You should be like a fighter, a survivor. And yeah, I had no choice. I had to survive and I had to fight it. Uh, now I'm 33, is it 32, 33. And when I was 21, I was raped. I was drugged and I was raped by a man uh, that was 15 years older who's a known um, journalist in Sweden. And I can talk, a, probably a lot of you read that story. The story is online, so I'm not going to go into the details today. But the point is that I was silent for over 10 years. I was mistrusted. I was humiliated. And when I read all this, the moral standard, you know, the text now published every day by people that obviously haven't been through what, for example, I've been through, it just, you know, s- strikes me that, okay, it's so easy for you guys to sit and have like moral, moral values about ethics and you shouldn't, you know, there's a witch hunt. And my only reaction is, yeah, I'm a witch and I'm going to hunt. <laughs> What's my options? What? I mean, I have a voice. I have a platform. I have, I have over 50,000 followers on Instagram. I've been in the media for eight years or something like that. Now I have a voice. The other women that just this guy raped and assaulted, they have no voices in that, in the, in that way. They are, they don't have the platforms that I do. And I did this for them. I did it. I did it for us because (coughs) this needs to end. And I don't want to, like, give myself... Okay, if I were a man, I would probably sit here and say, like, oh, you know, I'm going to brag now, but this is just because of me. But if I didn't didn't name this guy, or Lulu Carter, who worked at TV4, named her the guy that uh, harassed her, we wouldn't probably be here today. So you can have a lot of issues with calling out names and telling it's a lot of issues with that, it's a lot of, uh, it's a dangerous game and it's a witch hunt. But what's the options? I want to see this debate in a year and how it sounds then. And we have um, th- the loss. Sweden is, you know, it's it's a very... We have high standards for feminism and equality and the laws which protect, especially women and children, but it doesn't. You can just Google statistics about how many rapes that even comes up in court. We are witch witches and we are hunting, and that's, that's what we have to do. And I don't mean that we should kill men like some rape and revenge movie. I just say that I've been screaming for 10 years, basically without saying his name because his lawyers called my, um, I'm a freelancer. So I haven't, you know, then you're actually, it's fragile because you lose your jobs very easily. And he's his lawyer he called my employees, employers and, um, the companies that I work for and, uh, threatened me and threatened them. So I've been silented for 10 years and now I thought I can't take this shit anymore. And I'm very glad that I did, because this is my story. I'm not telling any, like, your story. You told that story for that person. It's not like a, the whisper. We have something in Sweden called viskleken. I don't know how you translate that. Vis- Chinese whispers. Yeah, are exactly. Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I'm a little tired after four weeks. That, that's why my I, I'm losing words. Uh, it's not like that. It's my story. It's my... I, I went to the police. I reported this. I'm just telling my story. And I... Think I inspired other people to tell their stories too. Yeah, that's what I have to say.
1: Great, thank you so much. I just want to say before, yeah, feel free to. <laughs> um,
3: yeah, Marta. All right, so um, <clears throat> before I uh, became a journalist, I wanted to be a, a chef. I wanted to cook food. Uh, And my first day as an apprentice uh, at a very high-end restaurant in Oslo, the head chef took me into this cold room, this um, huge fridge with the doors that you enter. And he took out this huge salami and he put it in his hand like this and he asked me if I... Might I want to pat it a little bit? (laughs) And I stood there like a complete idiot and I did that. I patted. The salami, um, And that was his way of introducing himself to me uh, as my employer. Uh, and I always used to tell this story when I did workshops with high school girls uh, in Norway in a campaign that we ran against sexual harassment because I wanted to put the bar kind of low for what kind of stories you could tell. Um, we inevitably always ended up with rape. In every workshop we did, someone would come out with their... Rape story. Uh, but the point that we wanted to bring home is how uh, f- the female experience is saturated with sexual harassment um, from the very subtle, like the salami thing, to the um, very heavy, violent sexual assault. And I think that this is the magnificence of the Me Too campaign, that it has kind of more vividly and more uh, overwhelmingly than ever before shown that to everyone and, ma- and, and made everyone stand uh, in attention to, those, to that whole tapestry of, of sexual abuse. And I think it's, I think it's just absolutely wonderful. Um, but admit like in the middle also of this fantastic, uh, revolutionary feminist uh, atmosphere that we're seeing, uh, we're, we're also hearing ever louder demands for outing. And this is where many red flags go up for me. Uh, and just to be very, very clear, I do not condemn, and I would never condemn, uh, a woman who chooses uh, to, go, uh, to expose her perpetrator. That's a personal d- decision. Um, and that's, uh, I think, very important to say. Uh, but I do condemn the sentiment that we are seeing so many places now on Facebook and Twitter that we need names. I mean, this is the dominant sentiment at the moment. This is also spread to Norway in the wake of these beautifully done, fantastic campaigns, these uh, what is that in English? The petitions. the petitions, thank you. All of these petitions that, that uh, work so beautifully because they, um, they don't out single people, they out the whole culture uh, that has infested their uh, realms, their uh, work areas. Uh, but the, um, a very big response to that now is, we need names. Uh, and, okay, like one red flag here is, as you mentioned, due legal process. Another is the principle of basic journalistic ethic. And. Even if, but even if we like set those aside for a moment, what kind of feminism is that? One that is uh, demanding a public cleansing through naming and shaming? Uh, it's a strain of feminism that isn't even feminism. It's a form of fundamentalism uh, that, that has more in common with the Christian right. Uh, with its sex offender registers in the United States, than it has with the really successful Scandinavian feminism that has systematically attacked and reformed the structures of oppression. Uh, this is one of my main critics, uh, one, one of my main um, accusation objections. Objection, thank you, uh, to the outings. And another is, we don't need them. Uh, I... It's, it's a, it will be a completely like, meaningless, contrafactic discussion what would have happened if, if those outings have, hadn't happened. But look at Norway now. Not one single man has been outed in Norway. But that has taken no momentum away from the campaign. And several men have lost their jobs. Uh, six, seven like, high-profiled uh, uh, media men and uh, producers and executives in, in different corporations have lost their jobs. So th- um, the cleansing <laughs> part of it, the, the, uh, it might also happen even without all of us knowing who they are and without the, the public uh, front-page exposure. We don't. I don't need to know who which actor stuck his penis in which actress's mouth. I mean, it, I, and we are we are not entitled to know. There's this feeling out there that we are entitled to know. We're not. Uh, we're, we're curious, of course, but we have to curb that curiosity because it is um, it is always up to the victims. Uh, and, and I think we also have to be. We, we, cannot, like, we can't hide the fact that uh, the, the most vocal, uh, holy wrath at the moment is uh, in, in like, demanding, we need names, give us the names, is the radical right. Uh, they are all over Twitter, all over Flashback, all over social media, demanding names, demanding heads to roll. Uh, so I think feminism has to be very concerned at the moment with uh, who it allies itself with. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Um, Right. Um, The word cleansing is making me very nervous. I don't know about uh, anyone else. But anyway, Jonathan, your turn. Uh,
4: Hello, everyone. Thanks for coming. Um, I began my uh, change or my awakening a couple years ago when I would hear, when I noticed that every single woman that I met had a story about a guy who went too far. Every straight woman that I met had a story about a guy who went too far. And zero men I met had a story about when they went too far. And it just doesn't add up. So that's what made me write my blog that she mentioned earlier about my contribution to rape culture. And I think that's the thing that we... The, the solution to this entire... Uh, epidemic or this entire uh, culture is for the men. We're the solution. We have to look inward and realize that we all are contributing to this rape culture. If it's something so minor as laughing at a sexist joke at work, or something so major as going too far on your first date with someone who said no, and you try to convince her even further, that's also a contribution to rape culture. But the thing that scares me about uh, the hashtag Me Too with uh, is when we men see the Harvey Weinsteins and all the other uh, men out there that are being pointed out, and then we think that absolves us of our responsibility. Because I didn't do this, I'm okay. I'm not a monster, but I'm also contributing. So I think the main thing is for us to look inward and uh, realize what we did uh, to contribute, and then work on that next generation, and try to, uh, which is what I did when I... Oh, <laughs> right as I said, next generation, the baby comes in on cue. <laughs> so we're going to work on the next generation, and uh, I want to share those stories with my child because as far as, I don't know, everyone else here, everyone went through sex education, but when in sex education were you taught uh, the boundaries when you're on a date? What's the right thing to do? What's the wrong thing to do when you're with a woman? When, is the, when has the man been told uh, to, that when she says no? no means no, or even not to try to talk her into doing something. It's a, it's a complete culture overhaul that needs to happen, and that we need to teach our sons, but we can't do that if we don't realize that we've contributed ourselves. And then our daughters don't have to just learn to, like I've, I've heard people say, I'm going to teach my daughter karate, and, and we put all of this responsibility on the women, when the shift, it needs to shift from all of this weight being on the women. Women know that men are creeps. We need to know that we're creeps, and we need to make the correction ourselves. That's all I have to say.
1: Thank you so much. <laughs> Chan.
5: Thank you. Um, well, I'm, I'm deeply troubled by Me Too, uh, and I, d- I think there, I was troubled by uh, feminism before Me Too. I don't think f- Me Too has kicked off uh, this uh, kind of very negative trend, but I do think it's, um, it's crystallised and brought to very wide public attention, something that's been a really negative development within feminism and also within society for quite a long time. Uh, I don't think men are creeps. I'm married to one and I have produced two, so I don't think they're creeps. Uh, And uh, I I think that this does boil down to a demand that men behave better. That's all that's being said here, right? Nobody's talking about changes in the law. It's a demand that men behave better. And, uh, you know, I share Marta's concerns about this idea of cleansing. I'd written down the same word, which is that when religious conservatives or fundamentalists say that man should behave better, we say, oh, that's really backwards, that's a kind of, you know, they believe in evil. They believe the devil is somehow possessing people and making us do bad things. And we spot the illiberalism there and the restrictions on individual freedom and the anti-sex sentiment that's there in religious fundamentalism. When feminists say men should behave better, we say, that's great, that's progressive. You know, we're all cr- they're all creeps. That's a really bad thing. That must be the devil at work or some kind of toxic max- masculinity. And I think it's really peculiar that we've reached this place uh, where, on the one hand, we somehow condemn ISIS... Um, but on the other hand, we embrace contemporary feminism in the form that it currently takes. Uh, and similarly, what this does is, it, whereas feminist, uh, fundamentalists say sex is God's gift uh, to man, uh, and it's for God to control it and to say who should have it and when, and then you, must, you lowly people should obey those rules, feminists say sex is women's gifts, uh, gift to men. Women have to control it. Uh, It's something that's kind of alien to women somehow. Men want it, women possess it, and it's there to be taken. There's no mutuality there, and I think that's ridiculous, and it's not a description of any relationship I've ever had with a man. Um, And I have an instinctive reaction against campaigns to clean up society, and this is what this is about, and this always leads to a really, really bad place. Uh, Sissy misunderstands what a witch hunt is. It wasn't a hunt by witches... It was a hunt of witches. It was a finger-pointing, an identification of witches, which were women, by the way. And the hunters then hunted them down, and they killed them. Now, this is what's going on here, which is finger-pointing, accusations, a complete absence of any sense of justice. um, And something that's an incredibly intolerant um, and uh, and vicious um, trend that's being started just to uh, give a few examples, that, that to test out Me Too and whether it works for us, and to suggest an alternative. A friend of mine at 17 was raped and murdered. We probably all agree the man should be caught, he should be tried in a court of law, and he should be imprisoned. That's exactly what happened. No story there, really. Um, but I also think he should have been presumed innocent until the court found evidence to decide that he was guilty. And if my son were to be falsely accused of rape, I would want justice to be done. And I would not want uh, accusations flying around wildly. And I think evidence and justice are incredibly important principles that we need to hold on here, hold on to. Secondly, when I was 20, I was in the park with uh, three friends. We we heard a whistle, looked around, and there was a man masturbating in the bushes. Uh, We sort of thought, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) What do we do? We chased him. We did not freeze, as we're being told is the only option for women to do. This is what women do. We freeze. Uh, We chased him. When we chased him, we realised that he actually was mentally handicapped. Now, that completely changed the scenario. And it put the responsibility on us to actually decide and make a judgement as to what should happen next. Should we go to the police so that he didn't endanger himself by doing it uh, and possibly getting beaten up by men? Should we um, try and help his parents? To, by telling them that this is what he was doing. Should we protect younger girls who may be more troubled by this? At the end of the day, we were able to laugh at the situation, but also to accept some kind of responsibility, not for what he did, but for dealing with the scenario. Uh, third scenario. I was once worked as a carer, pushed a man uh, in a wheelchair. That was my job some of the time. As I was pushing the man, some guy ran up behind me and grabbed my backside and ran away. Uh, what, should I, what would Me Too say about that? Uh, that I would be devastated by that. It's kind of a, something, a symptom of a rape culture of entitlement. Actually, I was completely fine. The problem was the guy in the wheelchair was really humiliated by the fact that he couldn't protect me. And I had to convince him that he didn't need to protect me because I was fine. Next time I pushed the wheelchair, I tied a jump around my backside. Because going up a hill, your bum sticks out. In some ways, I was quite flattered that my bum still looked appealing even when I was pushing a wheelchair up a hill. That's the ambiguous feelings that we have about these things. Um, Another example, that same man in the wheelchair a couple of months later offered me money if I would show him my breasts. Uh, What should I do? Me too would say I should report him. Had I done that, he would have lost his home, lost his carers because it was provided by a charity, uh, and I would have lost my home, because it was provided by the charity, uh, and I would have put myself in the position of victim. I wasn't a victim. I, really, I had considered whether to take the money. I had no money at the time when Christmas was coming up, and I decided not to because I thought it would be mutually exploitative for us to introduce that into the relationship. I subsequently left the job later on, on good terms. It was negotiated between the two of us, and I took control by saying, do not do that again to me, And do not do that again to other women. And I shared the experience with my colleagues who said, oh, actually, he said the same to us. (laughs) And we all said, stop doing this. It's really not on and you're going to get yourself into a lot of trouble. Final example. Uh, When I first moved to London, uh, one night I had my bag stolen by 15 girls who surrounded me and took my bag from me. Uh, It's probably the closest I've come to a violent attack. Uh, They didn't attack me, but I didn't fight back. And that was quite humiliating. But the, and I often think, should I have done something? Um, but actually, I, I, it's, difficult to, it's a difficult call uh, to make. And I think that uh, it's probably the closest I've come to actually something very bad happening. And if I had fought, I suspect I might have had my head uh, kicked in. So I didn't. And I lost nothing. I learned, I'd already learned, to put my keys in one pocket, my uh, wallet in another, and in my bag was nothing. Um, so... So why conclusions are and why I absolutely distance myself from Me Too is because Me Too would say, one, you should believe me. (laughs) These stories that I'm just telling you, which are are true, as far as I'm concerned, are to be believed. It doesn't matter whether they're true or not. It's just a woman says it, therefore it's true. Um, I think that's a very unhealthy uh, way for society to operate. Uh, Secondly, these scenarios tell us something about men or masculinity, I would say these men were already breaking rules. Some of them were breaking laws, and they were certainly breaking accepted codes of behavior. Uh, So the question is, who deals with it, when, and how? Uh, MeToo says we are not victims, we are survivors, we are brave, because something happened to me. To me, that's not feminism. Feminism, or at least a sort of sense of uh, a decent politics and a progressive politics, is about the freedom to act in the world and to exercise my freedom. Um, so I think that Me Too just in reinforces very, very unhelpful st- uh, stereotypes which polarise men and women.
1: Okay, thank you so much. <clears throat> now, I-, I want to go out to you in the, in, in the audience. I can already see some of you. Reacting, but I also know that some of you want to... So we'll just have a brief uh, discussion up here, and then we'll bring in the audience and we'll do this back and forth thing. But uh, f- for me, I, th- I think one word, sort of uh, spoken or unspoken, that's emerged from your presentations is the issue of responsibility. And you seem to be advocating, Jan, that perhaps you know when you find you're in yourself in a situation, there is there there is potential to take responsibility for that situation. Whereas what Sissi was saying is she feels, if unless I ever misunderstood you, that her Outing uh, a person in her case, that was about taking responsibility for other women who uh, don't have uh, the same sort of access to platforms and media and so on that she that she does. And then you know, but if you're outing someone, uh, are you taking away from the responsibility of the of the justice system? And then you're talking about how men should so uh, how men should react and the responsibility of men, uh, you know, for this sort of culture that you feel you've identified the so-called rape culture. So I think. Uh, for me that's, that's like one thing that sort of ties everything uh, together and I don't know if you want to react to that or just respond to uh, something else that your fellow panelists have said. So Marta
3: first. I would just love to, to say that like the, the whole um, attitude that you um, made yourself the spokeswoman for now, this anecdotal attitude where you just shrug off sexual abuse that has happened to you and... Uh, and say that that this isn't a problem and men and women should just get along fine. That is the attitude that has fallen with Me Too, and I think that that is uh, the the magnificence of it. That attitude has been dominant, uh, where where someone would say, uh, I found it to be a violation when he grabbed my ass, would be responded to by, oh, but wasn't it also like a little bit of a compliment? That thing is dead. Like, that thing (laughs) is out. And I think
1: Is it me too about anecdotes? I mean it's about sharing anecdotes that only you know uh it is a Whether fundamentally
3: anecdotal uh, campaign, yes. And many of these so. anecdotal campaigns before have had something very resigned about them, like, oh, oh. And again, I'm telling like the sad story from my life, but that's also different in me too because of these, uh, uh, because of the alliances that have been created to attack certain sectors. That you're doing it sector by sector in the theaters. This is the problem. And then you uh, highlight the whole culture of the theaters, and that is very different from from from. D- women only telling their, their story. Uh, you're, you ha- you're, there is a structural and cultural, uh, very pinpointed attack in me too which, which is uh, beautiful and a very good political strategy.
1: Mm. I don't, uh, but it, there is an element to, well, the, the way in which you tell your anecdotes and the value that you attach to them uh, depends on whether they'll be seen as valid or not. So it's sort of like by like, I mean, it's both, they're both... Anecdotal in their nature, the way we uh, tell of an experience that we had and, and how we feel it should be approached. So maybe there's a commonality there. Actually, did any CC? Do you want to
2: respond to? Yeah, you? I think this witch needs needs a very strong drink. Uh, I, I lived in the UK for on and off uh, with my ex-boyfriend, and what you um, what you express for me is very symptomatic for UK. And you are far behind. My mother is from Poland. They are far behind, and it's kind of we can have this discussion forever. This that you talked about with the anecdotic stuff, and also what what I like to call the the straw man argument. We say Halmgubbe. Straw man, yeah. Uh, yeah, that you build a, a whole. I mean, I'm not a researcher. I'm not even. I don't even. You know, I, I didn't even finish. You know, high school. But I feel that I. I, I feel very depressed when I hear intellectual people uh, come up with these kinds of arguments. Mm.
1: Mm. So makes Jan, me sad. Jan, you're the backward Brit. <laughs> Do you want to defend yourself?
5: Well, I, d- I don't know why. Why is it that my interpretation and my truth and my version is to be totally rejected and it has to be killed off? It's now dead apparently already, even though I've just said it. And why is your truth the truth? I mean, it's a ridiculous way of having an argument about things. I mean, if we think there's a problem with sexual violence in society, and I think there is, you know, a friend of mine was raped and murdered. Yeah, that's a problem. Okay, yes, well, I think that's a pretty, you know, uh, uncontentious view, isn't it? Uh, How are we going to deal with that? And does it help when we throw into that uh, pool lots of other experiences (coughs) that are not rape and murder. They're not rape, they're not assault, there's not even touching. So if you look at an EU survey of sexual harassment, their definition is uh, unwelcome touching, hugging or kissing. That could happen within a marriage quite regularly. My children do that to me sometimes. I don't necessarily always want them to hug me. Uh, They probably don't want me to hug them. It doesn't say who's doing it. It just says that's an unwelcome experience. Sexually suggestive comments or jokes that made you feel offended now, I could walk into a comedy club and hear jokes that make me feel offended. It doesn't mean the comedian's wrong to say them. How can they prejudge who, what, should be, what would be offensive? These are the most serious, by the way, definitions of sexual harassment. There's 11 and there's 6 that are the most serious, and that includes jokes. Um... Sorry, can
1: uh, you just Perhaps, no, hang so,
5: on. And this is, this is, so, this is a survey that found that 55% of women in Europe have experienced sexual harassment. Well, I'm surprised it's not 99% or 100 if These are the criteria. And incidentally, you said that the UK is behind and Poland is behind. Well, actually, your rates of sexual harassment, apparently, according to this survey, are much higher than East Europe. That's in uh, uh, Finland, Sweden, Luxembourg, uh, Denmark. So how do you explain that unless it's a sense of somehow the terrain is shifting, the definitions are moving, and people are being left disoriented, and what you're trying to do is cleanse out other versions of reality? And I think that doesn't lend itself to a rational discussion and solutions, actually. Yeah, Jonathan.
4: Or, Or the women in those countries are more empowered to speak up when they're being harassed.
5: Well, that can be That's your version. Yeah, but if yeah. These, are the, these are the criteria. Right, then but
4: the women in the, in the other countries, they're willing to, maybe they're willing <sighs> to well. pretend that, or doing what you're doing, where you're, you, if you t- told your same stories and put hashtag me too, you would have done the same thing that everyone else is doing. You're, you're speaking your truth, and then you're putting it out there that men are doing things that were unwelcome, but you just didn't put a hashtag on it. You told three stories of uh, instances that happened to you, and they were inappropriate things. But you decided not to report it. You didn't feel that way. But it goes right along with the hashtag, and it goes right along with the culture that you are a part of and Mm -hmm. that we're all a part of. And everybody's trying to improve it, so some people who aren't as unaffected as you are can have a better experience in life.
1: Mm. uh, Okay. I, I thought though' it was interesting that the example of the comedian and telling you you know offensive speech, which is probably something we 'll get on in a, oh, till in a later discussions. well we don 't have to get into that, but on the other hand, I mean it 's sort of difficult to f- foresee what uh, impact our actions and our, not least our words will have on other people. so I think that this is a sort of interpretive element' to this, a very subjective element for that but anyway, let me see a show of hands, and I think we have microphones going out. so i 'm going to try and get uh, as many people in as possible, and you can. Try and be brief, and also you, you can ask questions or just make points, whatever you wish. Yes. So there's one here, and then there's one in the.
6: Yeah. yeah. Go for it. I, I don't think first, first of all, it's a debate between sort of rationality and intelligence here, uh, and um, it has, as was discussed, where people who are, like a rational way of approaching it. But one thing what I what I could say is that yes, um, um, we can have different experiences of the same situation, but it's uh, there is a responsibility where if a situation feels unwelcome, you might deal with it better, but it's also a responsibility that other people might not. And especially my concern is, I'm half Russian, half Indian, and uh, in India, we, we lo- it's a nasty, sad joke, but it's sort of, you know, uh, if a woman speaks out or says something, she goes to the police, and the police then rape her or you know that is the stigma and that is the and i think we should speak out for those women it's not just about us or it's like oh someone touched me and that was okay but actually some other people it's really hard to come out and say something and it's inspiring those women to come out
1: and say something and not feel shit about themselves thank you so much and then there was a man go for it.
7: um yes uh, hello um I just want to uh, first of all to start by saying that uh, I'm really glad that uh, women are being empowered now to to speak about their experiences. And of course there are genuine problems uh, that uh, that exist within uh, within our society and within any society. Um, but at the same time uh, I would like to hear your thoughts on how not to let this tip to the other extreme of going to some kind of like um, collective blaming and maybe even some sort of, of androphobia like uh, a phobia of men or how could this turn into perhaps because I'm, I come from Egypt, it's a very sexually conservative society and um, I, I, would not, I would not like uh, this, uh, this to be a product uh, of, of such movement that would make the uh, sexual relationships between the, the sexes uh, become uh, dominated by fear, or or that uh, maybe um, their reluctance to um, express their sexual interest to one another out of fear of being branded as as harassers.
1: Yeah. Great, thank you. I think that that's a great point, and uh, it's that's something we haven't touched on. How you know how is this impacting the relations between between sexes and those kind of spontaneous yeah. interactions as well? Uh, yeah, one more, but I'm going to take a few, and then we'll come back, and then yeah, the woman there.
0: Thanks. Um, I think this kind of shows the problem actually with using this kind of anecdotal method to try and understand what's happening in society. I think we've just sort of seen a demonstration of the problem because the anecdote is entirely really subjective. It's, a, it's your story. And it does seem to me that, um, you know, we had two different, we had two sets of similar stories, but different contexts. And Jan's context was to explain why she thought something happened and why she consciously made a decision to act in a particular way. And then another context is given. It seems to me that one context, one story is acceptable and then the other story is unacceptable so is this really about trying to establish kind of acceptable narratives and is it is it a sort of is there an official narrative that we will have to all tell our stories through and I think that our stories are quite personal we talk in anecdotes to our friends we we talk anecdotally uh, when we are among friends and colleagues I think there's a real problem of trans Posing that into a kind of policy or lawmaking context, where you have a kind of, um, a really, a battle to who controls the narrative. I think it's a very anti-human to do that, actually, and I think it destroys the kind of um, the personal. Hmm. Really, it takes that away. It's a real problem.
1: Thank you so much. Sorry for rushing you, but I think we have quite a few. Mo- Can I just see a show of hands? So who wants to speak? Um. It's a bit difficult for me to see because of the lights. Oh, the, okay.
8: Uh, yeah, okay. Um, so, and try to be brief. Sorry. Um, no, but what I'm thinking is, this is about respect, basically, and I think the problem maybe is what we're sitting here discussing is we want to we want to have our experience respected just because it's our experience. We want someone to Respect us on the grounds of that we're a human being just like they are. And that if I say this is not okay for me, then I don't want somebody else to say, okay. But I don't think you should think that this is not okay for you. I think it's more about that basically you just want somebody to respect your opinion. Just because it's an opinion of a human being just like they are. Mm. Kind of.
1: Okay, thank you so much. And then, the, and then there's one further back. We'll come back to the speakers and then we'll go out again. So gather
2: your thoughts. Yeah, go for it.
9: Um, it's just a, a, an observation of what's the kind of climate that seems to be coming out um, and where this is going to lead to because we're talking about we a lot and I actually don't see anything other than um, people sharing stories, these anecdotes... I don't see that um, this is helpful in terms of changing the position of women in society and gaining those, um, that respect that we're talking about. And I think that women have been working and fighting for rights that are actually meaningful and would make a, a difference. This doesn't feel to me like a healthy development at all and actually is quite a, a frightening development. I mean, in the UK, there's a politician who's committed suicide because of the allegations. Do you know? And this whole um, erasing people, you know, the whole Kevin Spacey thing and being taken out of a film. And, you know, there's no voice. This guy hasn't been to court. There's been no process there to protect that at all. So... I don't see that as a progressive thing at all for women. I don't see it as empowering and I do feel that this is actually a really um, scary time. Okay, thank you so much. And then there was one more further back.
10: I'm actually really sad that we don't talk about this in terms of uh, empowering women uh, in the way that, yes, of course, we can talk on and on about how, how it's morally justifiable to out someone uh, with, with or without responsibility, but I think that it's really important to note that how do we make men not rape? And a way to make men not rape is to make rapists responsible, you know? And if we don't have a just justice system that can contain men's violence because men do ninety five percent of all the violence, we do ninety five percent of all the rape in society, and if we don't have a justice system that can contain this, I think it's fully justifiable and moral to to out someone that has raped. and I don't see I don't see like we can we can have this discourse if it's okay to have a people's court or not, but how? Do we implement women's power in society? This is what will come out of me too if we can make it into eman- an emancipatory movement.
1: Right. Well, I mean, how do you not rape? Can I just ask? Like, how, I mean, do what do you think we need in order not to make you know? Yeah. In- I
10: don't want to have the power to rape women. Yeah.
1: Okay, but it's not legal, so.
4: Yeah. Anyway, let
1: Jonathan. You you can come back to uh, first, and then we'll we, all of you can answer. Pick up on, on, on any can, point. Can I just say me? one thing? Sorry. I'm going to Jonathan first, and then to you, and then.
4: I, th- I think it, uh, we should remember that. Uh, well, my opinion. What I thought that me too was was more about inclusion to show that uh, these women who um, are dealing with something are not alone, and that. There are a lot of women that went through the same thing, so you're not alone in uh, what you're going through and that this is a cultural thing. There's nothing wrong with you. You're um, you're a victim, but I'm a victim as well. That's the way I took the Me Too. And I think um, we're adding stuff onto it now. But that's what the, to me, that's what the hashtag was about. And if we remember that, that it was more about you're, you're not alone. And the, the woman who created it, what was it, 10 years ago, was that was the reason, so you can understand you're not alone. We're victims together, and we're strong together. That's that's what I just wanted to say. Mm.
1: Great, thank you so much, uh, Sissy.
2: Yeah, I have three things. Short. First of all, we need to talk about the if you heard about it, the rape culture pyramid. You can Google it. It's very simple. When you when you see it, it's like in the bottom. Uh, there's this what you might not even call sexual harassments, but the sexism and the obje, um, objef, 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 I can't objectification. Can say that word. Thank you. Obification of women, uh, we are uh, seen as meat, we, our bodies are, like, ha, if someone looks at my ass or touches my ass or comments my ass when I'm walking, pushing my stroller or whatever, I should see it as a compliment. That's, the, like, the bottom line of this pyramid. And then it goes all the way up to rape and murder. It all comes together. It's not my research. It's, like, smart people came up with this shit, uh, second of all, if men for real are having issues like, oh, I don't know how to pick up girls anymore. I don't even know how to give someone a compliment. Then stop doing that. If you can't tell the difference from harassing someone and being flirty with someone. Try to not mix these things up. It's not like science. And third of all, um, I'm very concerned because i it's not about... Oh, you believe my anecdote and I, I don't believe yours. I, if you would tell me about your stories you've been through, I, I I trust you. And that's the problem. We have a culture where women are being mistrusted. We've been mistrusted for forever. And now we start listening to each other. And then it's actually, it's breaking my heart when especially other women comes up and say that this is not good, me too, is bad. I, I can definitely see what you say, that we have... Uh, we have challenges in, in outing and in media has responsibility, blah, blah, blah. But just to, to go on uh, specific women saying this happened to me, me too, and say that's, that's problematic, that really breaks my heart because I don't see other options. What's the option? Shall we just keep on living in this world where women are, you know, it's a war against women. Yeah, right there, perfect.
3: All right, so it's about 50 years ago since uh, the the feminist phrase uh, the personal is political was first coined. Um, and that, that was a revolution at that time when talking about domestic violence, sexual abuse, uh, everything that happened in the home or in the relationship was completely taboo in uh, society as such. Uh, and 50 years on, that slogan is in a very different type of, of landscape. It relates to a very different world where because of social media, where something that, is, that you post to... Your friends slash more uh, in in uh, in its very foundation, of course, might become very, very public, which happened now so so the um, that 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 makes um, that discussion different. I think we'd have to kind of acknowledge that, and the power in uh, in shaming someone is is huge, and that must be the the premise but I don't think. Uh, but but i think there's another implication of like the 50 years on into the personal is political which is that you've seen a depolitization of uh, of feminism uh which has run parallel in a way with the, the volumes of experience that we are allowed to talk about <laughs> uh, and, and this is a dilemma because we have uh when things as we just saw, when things become a question of your experience versus my experience, we can't have a common discussion anymore about policy and about um, principles. Uh, so, so, the feminist debate must kind of move from uh, from 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 a standpoint where we feel compassion for each other, which we of course have to, and that's the whole imperative of the of the um, shelter movements. They have to believe every woman that comes. In, through their doors. Uh, as, as, as your friend, Jan, I would react very differently to the stories that you told me, and I would talk about them differently. But since this is political, uh, we have to talk about... We, we cannot just... Um, we, we have to go from the descriptive to the discussion about policy. And one of the things that we should be talking about more than anything uh, when it comes to, to sexual harassment is... kind of surprisingly, is part-time contracts, <laughs> which is not sexy at all. It has nothing to do with, with there are no funny like, uh, dick uh, stories to, to sell that with. But uh, the thing that is uh, common for, for the, the, the branches of, of employment where women are most sexually harassed are always uh, the, the places where your right to a full job and your working conditions are the worst. So, uh, and that is a structural debate that we have to have. Um, which I would hope could kind of come out of this. And I think the outing is a complete distraction from those important debates. Could I, Thank you. Can That's I just very come useful. in there? Yeah, Jan.
5: So, but Marta, you'd have to agree, surely, that men are affected by part-term work as much as, if not more than, in the case of the UK, than women. It doesn't lead so to how, sexual harassment for them. So how, well, who cares about sexual harassment in that context? The issue there... But it is, if you're talking about part-time contracts, you're talking about part-time contracts. What's that got to do with sexual harassment? But if you want to talk about inequality, whether that's mm-hmm. class or whether that's uh, people you know, not having enough money to live on then you have to talk about that. And if you see everything through the prism of sex, as if there is some kind of war against women, which there really isn't, um, I think you just end up never being able to talk about the things that actually really shape people's lives. So if you look at what has improved for women over the last 50, 60 years, 100 years, we can now vote. When my grandmother was born, she could not vote whether that was in for parliaments or any other position in society, she could not vote. Uh, Now we just absolutely take it for granted, of course, as we should, that women should vote and make decisions in the political sphere. Um, When my grandmother was born, she was not allowed to go to university. She couldn't go. There was no university that would take her. Um, when, she, uh, when she took a job, uh, 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 when she worked, uh, she was not entitled to the same wages as a man. None of these things apply to women anymore. Uh, they really don't. They might subtly work through, but they do not apply in law, and it is, in, is illegal for employers to um, operate on that kind of basis. When my grandmother was born, she had no control over her reproductive capacity, other than not having sex. Now, that's uh, w- we are now... We're getting to the point in Britain where actually we will have abortion on demand, which I'm very pleased about. Uh, and we, do have had, we have had contraceptive uh, provision for a long time now, which has partly made women's position something where they can't even imagine sometimes the restrictions that used to exist on women's freedom. But I think the problem is, is you just if feminists just continually want to reinvent oppression and say inequality just continues, all you're doing is saying it's because men are always the problem. They're always creeps. Well, that was never the basis of women's oppression. It wasn't based on men's moral behaviour. It was to do with structural inequalities. And we need to be very honest when those structural inequalities no longer apply, and to reconsider where they may well work out. But we have to talk about that as affecting both men and women. Otherwise, we just end up with this ridiculous polarisation, which is just a kind of moral screeching festival. Uh, and it's, a, it, it's sex cells, which is why these stories um, uh, you know, are... Worldwide and reach kind of global attention.
2: And I think we have to resist that. It's okay. incredibly salacious. Sorry, sorry. Can Thank I you. Just,
1: yeah, just add something, and then I'll say
2: what I wanted to say. Yeah. just very quickly. How many men in here have been sexually harassed? Raise your hand.
1: But maybe not everyone wants to say. How many to want say
2: have you heard a joke that offended you? I mean,
5: that's yeah. that's there we go. Who's heard a joke that's offended them? <laughs> you have been harassed. There you go. Well, that doesn't tell. That tells us nothing, does it? Right. Tells us nothing. Okay. Also, also,
1: not everyone wants to. Uh, you know, to put their hands up to that kind of question or use the hashtag and so on, so we don't know no. what that kind of hand-raising means. But I also want to, because I cause I, so I can sort of sense there's a lot of, like, sighing and tutting and that kind of thing when some opinions... But The whole idea of this is to have an open and honest debate. This The slogan of, of Battle of Ideas is free speech allowed. And I think one of the things that have uh, irritated me about uh, the discussions over the past few weeks in relation to Me Too is this idea that, you know, Women should get in line, and we should not. Uh, sort of, um, a- everyone should sort of sign up to this whole thing. And if you if you uh, criticize it anyway, you're sort of stepping out of line, and you're being a traitor. And, a and witch. I think, oh, a witch. and I think, <laughs> yeah, which, but and I think uh, that means that a lot of uh, people who are uh, nervous about what's going on in the discussion, the form that the discussions have taken, are not actually saying that out loud. But maybe among their friends and in private messages online. So we're not seeing uh, those opinions being uh, or hearing those opinions much. And but you know, in here, uh, all opinions are allowed; none are taboo. So, this side of the room, who? Not, oh. uh, can I see a show of hands and keep your hands up for just a while so that I can see, get a sense of okay.
11: Thank you. Um, thank you for a very interesting topic. Uh, I have two, two questions because there's a, there's a flip side to this MeToo hashtag and that is of course that you assume that everybody's telling the truth. Now my story is a bit different because um, what happened to me is that my ex-girlfriend in a very bad breakup decided to go to the police and lie about stuff that happened. Well, it didn't happen but she told the lies. Which of course resulted in consequences for me from the re- legal system. Now I was lucky because I mean in the end there was a court who said that uh, her lies were lies. But uh, during the sort of witch hunt part of the the thing, uh, it wasn't very pleasant. Um, So I'm sort of thinking is there is there any way that we can share a legal system which we believe in um, and and continue having uh, having a common society? Um, where I can have my rights protected and you can have your rights protected. Uh, and if we don't, what's the consequences of us not being able to share a legal system which we both can believe in?
1: Thank you. I should have added again, if you want to say something in Swedish, that's absolutely fine, I can translate and then also try and be brief. Yeah, go for it.
12: Ja, och jag tror att jag gör det för alla den sån utmärkt engelska som min skulle inte lika bra. Okay. Okay. En kändis en gång att det behövs Några knäckta ägg För att göra en omelett Okej, nu har det knäckts några ägg Och det behövdes Men nu är man på ett stadium När man borde kunna göra den här omeletten Lite närande Och det tycker jag att Du, Marte Har verkligen tagit fram Man måste kunna politisera det här På något annat sätt Sektorerna tar säkert och i tur med sina strukturer men jag som har varit 40 år lärare ute i det som nu kallas orten, har ju varit med om ganska många flickor som har blivit våldtagna, som inte har en chans att gå hem och tala med sina föräldrar om det, som måste hjälpas på ett annat sätt så att det inte blir, och mycket av diskussionen kring mito ute bland föräldrar titta här hur Sverige det är livsfarligt Så vi får verkligen akta oss för hur vi tar upp frågorna och försöka hitta de politiserande kraven. Mm. Och jag vill verkligen också rekommendera en, en flicka som jag såg igår i Vällingby på trappan. Selua någonting. Inte, inte, inte din baby hette den. Och hon tog upp mycket dåliga erfarenheter av sex utan att en Sekund blir sexfientlig Mycket, mycket fin Jag rekommenderar den för alla mm. Och jag Tack. tänker om jag får se en kort sak Jättekort, också. Ja, jättekort. mycket tid, en, en bok som alla läste När de var så gamla som jag Hette Mörklätshjärta Och det handlar om en kvinna som är i Paris Under Algeriakriget Och hon mm. lever tillsammans Med en som jobbar i befrielser Och så vidare En gång när hon går hem på natten Så blir hon antastad och hon vet att hon kan skrika och då ska hon få hjälp. Men hon vet också att denna man som för en arab kommer att bli lynchad och släng i scen om hon skriker. Mm. Hon skriker inte. Så det finns många sidor av allt och vi måste försöka hitta det jag tycker att du har tagit fram. Eh, politiska krav som man kan gå vidare använda den här kraften.
1: Tack så mycket. So just just very just a summary of what you said. Uh, this woman has been working for uh, 40 years as a teacher in uh, suburbs of Stockholm, where she's seen a lot of in, uh, instances of of uh, sexual assault of, of girls. And she uh, endorses Marta's uh, point that it now it's now you know eggs have been cracked, it's time to make the omelette sort of thing. And uh, we need politics and policies, um, right? Kind of. Short version. Uh, most people understand the Swedish anyway in here.
8: Right, so there was someone else. Uh, I want to talk about uh, Dirty Dossier in the UK. If you think that was spin out, out about of... that? what, sorry? Dirty Dossier, when they... About improb- Dodgy Dossier. Dossier. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if that was spin out, out of Me Too, or if you think that would happen anyways, and how do we avoid um, name-calling just out of... Um, um, Improbable. Do you mean the parliamentary species? Yes, yeah. with Michael, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fallon and so on. Um, okay.
5: And how, if we've seen, sorry, um, similar behavior in Sweden
8: or like in the US and how we avoid, um, yeah, just similar situations basically.
1: Great, thank you so much. Uh, very clear question, so we like
9: that. Yeah, go for it. Um, Hello, so I would just like to say that I also think the experience of all women is important. Where, are, Where are you? Oh, there. Oh. <laughs> But I think for me, the thing that I find problematic with Me Too is that it kind of ignores the context of sexual harassment. So, for example, women who are more socially vulnerable will experience a type of exploitation which is much more systematic. And I think the problem is Me Too kind of puts a veil over this. And that's why I find it depolitizing as well. Thank you so much.
13: Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah I just, I always prefer uh, the dialectic discussion versus the the harsh debate, and uh, my conclusion is like, um, we just want to focus on the commonalities uh, instead of the differences, and uh, it seems like uh, one way to look at it is that you're you're all uh, striving towards the same thing, Uh, although it seems like you're very polarized in your ideas, and and to me it seems like the the whole subject with uh, with me too is is very necessary to uh, to bring attention to a, a subject that uh, a lot of people uh want to focus on like a big problem and uh from uh, another side of the panel it seems like this uh, this could uh, harm some innocent people and uh, maybe it's also uh, also important to uh, look at the, the structure and be very uh i don't know like left side hemisphere about it and uh, mm. uh so that we don't uh, end up in a i don't know chaotic state and stay there Thank you. I think both sides... Yeah, yeah, is very... we're so we just
1: running out of time, <laughs> okay. so we just need yeah. to... Thank you so much. Thanks for the contribution. That's the Swedish consensus again that we were talking <laughs> about earlier. It's beautiful. Back in every debate. Yeah, go on. Hello. Um, yeah,
8: I, I just wanted to come back to what I thought was a very useful question in front of me about the wider consequences of all of this. this, because, because to give a, a, an example, if I think back to the paedophilia uh, situation, in, especially in the UK, but more widely, then uh, a relatively small number of very serious incidents got blown up into a society-wide panic and the consequences have been horrific ever since. We've had a, a kind of intergenerational fragmentation, we've had uh, uh, men in particular, for example, leaving the teaching professions in droves, we've had problems in communities where men are now very unsure of the relationship to children, and I just want to uh, worry a little bit that some of uh, the situation now with Me Too is potentially leading us in the same direction, particularly uh, this situation where there seems to be, uh, everybody seems to accept a continuum of sexual harassment from relatively minor incidents to very very serious ones and I, I just wonder from the panel do you uh, think that there is a problem potentially with this are we kind of going to fragment the relationships between the, the, the different genders what sort of space is there going to be in the future to negotiate uh sexual relations rather than uh, it almost seems to me we're heading to, towards a manual of how to conduct ourselves
1: thank you so much can I have a final show of hands? I'm going to overrun just few. If you guys have like two sentences each, then I'll get all of you
9: in, so just be very quick. Okay? Can I start? Yeah, go for it. Uh, jag tror precis för att kan jag prata snabbt. Eh, sure. uh, jag tänker bara att när man pratar du, uh, vi har hört att folk har pratat om att öh ah, men vi ser män som creeps och att vi tycker att de ska ändra på sig. Det är inte det som är poängen. Vi är en helhetad kölstruktur som ska gälla både män och kvinnor och icke icke binära och det viktiga, är ju att också se att sexuella harassment också är ett sätt att förtrycka. Alltså, om jag ser på mig själv bara som en kropp som inte har en värde som en människa, då vågar inte jag heller söka de där tjänsterna, jag vågar inte be om högre lön. Alltså, det hänger ihop.
1: Okej.
3: Okay.
1: Yes. Tack så mycket. So, the basically, the problem is about patriarchal structures and the way it harms men, women and binary people and uh, the problem with sexual harassment is that it's a form of oppression that means that women who are subjected to it perhaps don't have uh, the courage or the uh, to, to go for the jobs and so on that are out there, something like that, sorry, for the quick, yeah, go for it, um, I would very say, quick
5: Yeah, sorry, uh, the fraction is already real, uh, but now it's the, the women are afraid and the women are the innocent one who gets
3: um, uh, and now there are like two or three men like, oh, I'm innocent and something bad happened to me and, and that's, and Me too is a shame. And like all the hundreds and millions of women who have been innocent, who have been assaulted for all the years. And, you know... um, Thank you so
1: much. Show of hands, I'm going to break the rules. Sorry, guys. And you have the mic. You go for it, then it's you. And then that's it, because we have to give the panel time to give their final thought. And we already have a line for the next session. Okay, go ahead.
4: Okay.
14: So yeah, I was 12 years old, and I was accused by my aunt to have touched my cousin, and he was younger than me, and um, this was not true, and um, and she stopped talking to the other members of my family mm-hmm. because of this reason. And then after several years, so it made me changing my behavior when I was with older children younger you know I was like feeling like being scared of being accused of something but then after some years I managed to have a conversation with her I wrote her a letter to tell her to tell her about this and she actually told me that she it wasn't true and that she just made up this story to stop talking to her parents and so by this story it's just a personal um, story And it's my point of view, but it's just that accusation sometimes can cause much more than what is really going up like yeah,
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. I think that's a really um, good illustration of of the problem that you raise. I promised you, so go for it, and then we'll come back.
10: Quick question about Norway. You said that without naming names, uh, there was results. Could you expand more on how that could apply to other places where a similar model could be used to move this in a far forward and positive way.
1: Thank you. So, we're going to... Uh, you're going to have like one minute each, mm-hmm. max. Uh, and we'll do it in the reverse order in which we started. So, Jan, you go for it. and that's uh, I think.
5: Well, I think lots of uh, parents, w- parents would say that their worst nightmare if they have a daughter is that she is sexually assaulted by somebody. And it would be a terrible, terrible thing And that we, as parents, we try to take steps to prevent every parent's nightmare if they have sons is your scenario. Uh, and I think increasingly that's what lots of mothers I know who have sons are really worried about, that this is the culture that we're creating, where there's a retranslation, there's a permission uh, of just uh, of kind of fairly wild accusations. And I think this, this climate of moralistic policing, which has is, which is gone out of control, um, includes all kinds of people that I don't think any of us would want to be included. You, uh, on the dodgy dossier parliamentary lists. This is a spreadsheet of bad behaviour by members of Parliament in the UK that was circulated. It included a woman having a relationship with another member of Parliament. Both were single. They were included as, this is bad behaviour. That's adultery, which you know, in an Islamic state you would be stoned for. What do we want to happen to these people? These are human adults having relationships with, e- with each other. Um, today in the paper, back in the UK, some university academics, women, are saying that there should never be relationships uh, formed between academic members of staff, i.e. people like me, and any student, because that blurs the lines. Well, I could have a student who's older than me Should I never be allowed to... At what point can I have a relationship with them if you fall in love? I think we've, we've gone into such dangerous territory. I think it's terrifying. And I think that the people who have got away with... Uh, just, you know, putting out with no responsibility, really need to take some responsibility and to reflect on the consequences of what they're doing because there are consequences. It's not just calling out. It's not just writing something on a hashtag. There are consequences because you are contributing to a very, very um, worrying culture.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah. We don't have time. <laughs> yeah, right. to, just
4: one at the end. All right, okay. I'm, uh, I just want to say I'm working on the next generation. I have a son and a daughter. I don't want my son to be accused of anything, but I'm going to raise my son in a way that he knows not to, that certain things are inappropriate. The things that weren't explained to me, I'm going to explain to him. And if other parents do the same, work on our sons, and and our daughters will be okay. That's what I want to say.
3: Okay, Marten. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So. Um, I think uh, the Me Too campaign is a magnificent moment in feminist history, uh, but, I, I, but it's just a moment. Uh, the struggle is very long term, and we have to get down to discussing which long term strategies are we going to apply uh, so that more and more people are included uh, in the way that we think, uh, where sexual assault is real, where we don't have to have that discussion all the time, uh, and, where, and where there is real progress on the ground. And we have to uh, connect that discussion with, as you said in the back, a social perspective. There's uh, the, the Sexual harassment is much, much more rampant in uh, uh, for hotel workers and waitresses than it is in politics, uh, so like we need to get those me too campaigns out I think um, and and all of this is going to be a fun discussion and, and we're going to have uh, we're going have differences uh, of opinion about outing uh, we're going to have differences of p- uh, opinion about what kind of righteous anger you can carry into uh, the principal debate. I think that uh, being victims does not entitle us to uh, making victims of others. And I think that's a, very uh, that, that's a very important foundation going forward.
1: Thank you so much. Sissi. Uh,
2: I have a son. He's three years old soon. So we have some time left to, before we talk about these things. But he will be held responsible for his actions just like girls. Boys won't be boys anymore. If you know what I mean, of course they will. But I'm so tired of. We talk about false accusations. How many false accusations is it if you compare it to how many women and girls that just keeps on being quiet because they're so afraid to to speak out. In mis- and then being mistrusted.
1: Thank you so much. And um, yeah. Uh, I think uh, the most important thing is to talk about these things and have honest uh, open discussions where all points of views can be heard. Doesn't mean they're all valid or right, but we have to sort of air everything uh, in order to to uh, move forward. But um, thank you so much.
0: Forumdebatt är Kulturhusets Stadsteaters avdelning för debatter och samtal. Prenumerera gärna på vår podcast och håll dig uppdaterad om kommande arrangemang på kulturhuset stadsteatern.se
2: snedstreck forumdebatt och på vår Facebook-sida.